Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. So can you do me a favor? Can you open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus? We're going to be bouncing around the book of Exodus a little while. I've, I've been stuck in the book of Exodus for a couple months now. Um, sometimes There's been times in my life where I'll go through the Bible in a year. And then there's other times I'll go through the Bible in three years or something like that because I'll get stuck on something and God's like trying to point it out and I'm not quite getting it. I'm a slow learner, all right? And sometimes I got to go over it and over it and over it and over it. So I've been in the book of Exodus for a couple months now. Um, But there's some good stuff in there that I thought uh, God was just speaking to me about lately. And so we're going to dive into that. I want to talk to you today about influence. Influence. We are being influenced oftentimes from the moment that we wake up until the moment we go to sleep if, if our phones are handy, right? From the moment you open your phone and you jump online or you're looking at social media, there's influence, influence, influence. You get in the car, you turn on the radio, someone's influencing you with something. You're driving down the road, you're seeing billboards, you know, whatever it is. There's influence all the way around us. And God just lately has been convicting me about the influence that I've been allowing into my life and, and making a bigger priority than him. All right, I've been mishandling this. And like I said, for the last few months, God's been kind of putting his finger on my heart going, hey, Ben, this has to change. Hey, Ben, this has to change. So I want to talk about influence this morning. And when I was thinking about influence and, and even going back to my childhood, one of the places where I was influenced the most in my life was actually around the dining room table. I was thinking back when I was a kid, my parents would fight for dinner together as a family. So I was born and raised in Michigan, and we have a, quite a big family, but my mom and dad would fight for come home for dinner, all right? Breakfast, everyone's coming and going, and different kids are going to different schools, or they're on the bus at different times, dad's out the door, blah, blah, blah. You know, breakfast is crazy. Lunch, usually no one's there. So, but dinner, mom would say, I want you home. I could go play at a friend's house. 6.30, I want you home. We're eating together as a family. I didn't understand the significance then like I do now. Because we would sit around this table, and my parents would ask questions like, how was your day? What happened? What are some good things? What are some bad things? Some funny things? And, and we'd begin to tell our stories. And, oh, man, this kid was running, and he tripped and fell. And we all laughed. And my parents would say, Do you think he thought it was funny? Do you think maybe he should have went over and talked to him? You know, they would begin to influence us and speak to us and mold us around the dinner table. And a lot of really cool, good conversations happen here. This is where I learned to pray, right here. We pray before every meal. And, you know, I I would learn from my dad. My dad would pray, and then, all right, Ben, it's your turn. It's Monday. It's your turn, Ben. That's kind of how it worked. And that's where I learned to pray. A lot of cool things happen around this table from my earliest memory until I moved out. A lot of influence. We'd have people over. And when you have people over and you have them sit around your table, you're kind of opening up your heart to them in a way, right? You're allowing them to kind of speak into your life and you're speaking into their lives. So influence happens around this table. So I got a, I got a funny story for you. Um, something funny that happened around our kitchen table here in the last year. Um, my kids recently started middle school. 
Uh, I have two kids. My son, Micaiah, he is 12. My daughter, Calvary, she is 10, and they go to East Meritches. And, you know, when they're in elementary, they hear certain words and phrases that they might, like, ask about. But I don't know about you. I remember going into middle school or junior high, and there being a stark difference of, like, whoa, what does that word mean? You know, never heard that one before. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to be the good dad. I'm going to be the cool dad. And I'm going to say, you know, I, I decide to have this conversation with my kids. And I say, all right, listen, if you hear any words at school or on the bus that you've never heard before or you don't know what they mean, come ask me. You can ask me what it means. I might tell you what it means, depending on the word. I might say that's inappropriate. You don't need to know what that means. You know, you can use it. You can't use it depending on what it is. So they're like, all right, cool. So first day of school, we have this conversation. So I'm anticipating this conversation all day. I'm like, all right, we're going to get around the table. My kid's going to say something crazy, you know, but I'm ready. First day comes and goes. We sit down, we have a meal. Nothing. I'm like, all right. Second day comes and goes. I'm like, all right, definitely day two. Day one, everybody's still new, maybe, you know, whatever. But day two, it's, it's going to happen. Day two comes and goes, nothing. Day three comes and goes, nothing. Day four, finally, the last, it was a Friday, last day, uh, last school day of the week, we sit down, and the anticipation's killing me. I'm like, they got to be hearing words. So I say, all right, did you guys hear any words this week that you didn't know what they mean? And for some reason, I don't know why, I'm expecting it to come from my 12-year-old. So I look his way, and my daughter is sitting off to my right, and she goes, I got one, Dad. I went, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know why. I was, I was ready for my son to say it. I was not ready for my little pretty princess to say something at the dinner table that she doesn't know what it means, you know? So I reach over, and I grab my wife's hand, and I am bracing for impact. I have no idea what is going to spill out of that child's mouth, and how am I going to, you know, how am I going to handle this? Again, I was calm looking at him. I'm scared to death, terrified what my little princess is going to say. So I say, all right, baby, what word did you hear at school today that you didn't know the meaning of? There's this long pause, like she doesn't want to say it, and she goes, expectations? <laughs> expectations? So my first response is, whew, my second response is, we are horrible parents if our kids don't know what expectations are. I couldn't believe it. We talked about expectations. Now listen, it's almost the end of the school year. We've had conversations since. Um, but that kind of conversation was able to happen around the dinner table. I love dinner time with my kids. What are your highs? What are your lows? What happened? A lot of influence takes place around this table. The title of my message today is, Who's at Your Table? If you're taking notes, which I highly encourage you to, who's at your table? Who are you allowing to speak into your life? What influences are you allowing to mold and shape your life, your perspective, how you handle things? All right, we're going to go, like I said, we're going to bounce around the book of Exodus a bit. And we're going to talk about Moses because as I've been reading about Moses' life, I see a lot of parallels there's a lot of things that he dealt with that we deal with. It looks different today than how it looked when he dealt with it. But he was dealing with some, some big things, some stressful things, some tough things 
that, again, we, we deal with some of the same things. It, it, it parallels, all right? So we can learn a lot from how Moses handled some struggles. So the first thing I want to talk to you this morning about was Moses' struggles. Here's some of the things that, that Moses had to deal with. Actually, you know what? Let me bring you up to speed, just in case, all right? I want to make sure everybody's on the same page here. If you're not familiar with Moses or who he is, I just want to give you a 30-second rundown. Moses was a Hebrew born in Egypt, all right? So he's pretty much born as a slave, okay? Hebrews were slaves to the Egyptians. But he was born in a time where all these little Hebrew babies were being killed because there was just too many Hebrews, so Pharaoh says, we're going to start killing baby boys. His mom says, I don't want that happening to my baby boys. So she holds on to him as long as she can. When she no longer can, she makes a basket, puts him in the basket, sends him down the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, takes him in, and raises him as her own. So he goes from being born to a slave now to being raised as a prince. One day he witnesses a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian. There's a physical altercation, and he jumps in, and he actually kills an Egyptian. He buries this Egyptian's body in the sand so he would never be found. But he's just, he's committed a crime. We just had a Hebrew killing an Egyptian. This is a big problem. So he runs for his life. He goes out into the wilderness. God speaks to Moses while he's in the wilderness through a burning bush. Moses notices his bush is on fire, and he goes up, and he's like, it's not burning up. What's going on? God begins to speak to him and says, I got plans for you, man. I'm going to use you. So through a lot of debate, Moses says, all right, cool. You know, I'm in. So Moses' job is he's going to go to Pharaoh and say, say, you got to let God's people go. So, again, after much debate, he finally goes and does it. And after ten plagues, Pharaoh finally says, all right, you can go. And this is kind of where our story picks up, where the, the Hebrews are being led by Moses in the wilderness on their way to this promised land. All right? God says, listen, I got a place all set up for you. It's awesome. It's nice. It's flowing with milk and honey. You guys are going to love it. You're going to the promised land. So Moses' job is to lead these people through the wilderness to the promised land. Now, when I say lead these people, I'm talking about two and a half-ish million people. This isn't like a car ride, all right? They're not going to Disney with the family. This is a lot of people. Can you imagine leading the way for two and a half million people? I'm in the car with my kids for two hours, and I'm going to pull my hair out. You know, it's like, he's looking at me. He's making a face. She farted. Like, it's just on and on. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Two and a half million people, you're leading the way? Are you kidding me? How many think that caused some stress? Absolutely. So some of the stresses that he dealt with is these people were complainers, and they're dramatic complainers. I don't handle drama well, all right? Life's crazy enough without the drama, but these people are dramatic. We want water. Send us back to Egypt. You know, we want food. Send us back to Egypt. At least our bellies were full there. We we were praying that we would, you know, get out of Egypt, but now send us back because at least we had food. Wine, 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 wine. We read in chapters 15, 16, 17, wah, 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 complaining, complaining, complaining. Now, something you need to know about me, I, I don't have a lot of room in my life for complainers, all right? Judge me if you want, but I just, I can't do it. I feel like I'm like walking through mud or like I got like weights on me and I'm trying to do life. I can't. 
I can't do it. If someone just runs in the negative, I'm like, yeah, okay, you stay over there. I'll stay over here. Anybody in here ever been on Facebook? Now that can be a negative place, right? I need to let you know this. If we're friends on Facebook and you're negative, I done muted you already, all right? There's this little unfollow button, I think is what it is. I can't do it. I can't live life with all this negativity in my life. I can't watch the evening news because it affects me so much. I'll be watching a show with my wife, and they're like, at 11, old man gets beat up, bank gets robbed. And I'm like, what? Like, I can't allow this. I just can't. I can't allow all this into my life. It drags me down. Well, Moses didn't have the luxury of the unfollow button like we do with a lot of this negativity. He had to deal with it. He had to figure out a way to deal with these complainers. Not only did he deal with complainers, but these people were just plain difficult. Difficult. When we read about what they decided to do, it's kind of like, I, th- I think of my kids. You know, like when your kids are going through a difficult season and you say, don't touch that, and they go, what, this? You know, and they touch it. That's the type of people that Moses were lead- was leading through the wilderness. So difficult. Get this. Moses is having a conversation with God up on a mountain. And God is giving him the Ten Commandments. He's giving them the law to live by. They get bored, collect all the jewelry, and make a golden calf and say, let's worship that instead of God. These people were just plain difficult. Does anybody have difficult people in your life? Family, friends, coworkers? Yeah, come on, this church, you can be honest. Yeah, we all have difficult people in our lives. Moses dealt with difficult people. So he had complainers, he had difficult people, and then there was something else that Moses was dealing with during this time. Moses became a workaholic. Do I have any workaholics in the house? You work too much, a few of you? I saw a few wives like, raise your hand, it's you, you work too much, right? Yeah, Moses became a workaholic. You see, his father-in-law, Jethro, came for a visit, and Moses is like, let me tell you about all the awesome things God did. And he's like, all right, let's hear it. And he's like, oh, man, that's amazing. That's so cool. The next morning, Moses gets up, and it says that from morning till evening, dawn till dusk, he sits in front of all these complainers and these difficult people, and he plays judge or referee. And they come to him with a problem, and they come to him with a problem, and he did this, and she did that, and then, and then, and then, and he's going through all this stuff. He was a workaholic, dawn until dusk, work, 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 work. So he's dealing with complainers. He's dealing with difficult people. He's working too much. Can anybody in this room identify with some of those things? Your life kind of looks like that a little bit. You're like, oh, man, tough people around me. I'm working like crazy. My life is stressful. I can't do this. So Moses didn't crumble and just say, I'm leaving, I'm walking away, whatever. There are some conversations he had with God where he wanted to, but he didn't. He stuck it out. So I started to think, well, why? What got him through those difficult, crazy, annoying situations that he had to deal with all the time? So I want to go over a few things that I pulled out of, the, of Scripture that, that I noticed that, you know, Moses did that, and that's the only way he could have survived This is the first thing I want you to write down. It is, it matters who you surround yourself with. 
It matters who you surround yourself with. That's a big deal. When you're around difficult people, you tend to become a difficult person. When you're around complainers, you tend to start complaining. But he surrounded himself with people like his father-in-law, Jethro, who I just referenced before. You see, Jethro was not only his father-in-law, but Jethro was a priest. And Jethro was able to be godly counsel to Moses. He was able to speak to some things that Moses needed to hear. So I want to read a verse to you, a couple verses actually. Turn to Exodus 18, verses 17 and 18. This is something that Jethro says to Moses. It says in verse 17, Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And then he goes on to give him good, godly wisdom, godly counsel on, this is what you need to do so you don't burn out. He surrounded himself with godly counsel. I need to tell you a quick story about my amazing wife. She is so much cooler than me. She is so awesome. Those that know her know what I'm saying is true. She is incredible. I was in the ministry two years, and, you know, there's awesome things that come with technology, but then there's things that we tend to drag into our life that we probably shouldn't, right, with technology. And um, so I'd go to work at the church, have my laptop, I'm going to town. I come home, I break the laptop out, and I'm continuing to work. Why? Well, it's the American way, right? If there's anything we want to accomplish in life, if you want to be great, you just got to work harder, right? That's the American way. It's especially the Long Island way, I'll tell you. Work harder, work harder, work harder. We'll get there. We'll do it. You know, you want to be great? Work, 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 work. So I'm just every night. And my amazing godly wife, one night, closes the lid to the laptop. And she says, do you like what you do? I said, yeah, I love being a pastor. She says, do you want to do it for a long time? I said, yeah, I'll probably do it till I die. She says, then you need to chill out. I was like, whoa. She's like, you got to take a break. This isn't good for you. You're going to experience burnout. You can't keep running at this pace. you got to slow down. And she goes, what hobbies do you have right now? What do you do for fun? I'm like, well, I don't do anything for fun. We're used to golf, right? You should pick golf back up. I'm like, babe, I don't have my clothes. Or clothes. <laughs> I don't have those yet. Clubs. I don't have clubs. She goes, we got some money in savings. Here's 600 bucks. Go get some new clubs. She put her money where her mouth was. She's like, hey, you've been talking about wanting to get into hunting. Doesn't that guy over there hunt? Go talk to him. Get into hunting. I felt like my wife in that moment saved my life. I can tell you I would not be standing here today had she not said that. I would have burnt out a long time ago. My wife and I have been in ministry 15 years. I wouldn't have lasted four. She was good godly counsel to me. It was so good. We need to surround ourselves with good godly counsel, like Jethro, like my wife. They will speak to some things that maybe we don't want to hear, but that we need to hear for our own benefit. I have some amazing people in my life, some awesome couples that have talked to me and my wife about things and in a good, loving way say, hey, let's look at this. Let's, let's talk about this. This is the end result. Do you really want, all right, let's bring that back. 
Some people that were willing to say the tough things to me to make sure that the best outcome was there. We need to surround ourselves with good godly counsel the way that Moses did. Not only did he surround himself with good godly counsel, but he surrounded himself with godly friends. We read about Aaron and her in Exodus 17. Aaron and her came up along beside Moses and helped him out as good godly friends. So there's a story that goes along with this, but I, I want to set it up a little bit. They're approaching, the, the Hebrews are approaching the Amalekites. And they know there's about to be a war. There's about to be a battle. It's, you know, it's going down. So Moses says to Joshua, get the troops ready. Assemble the army. We're going to, we're going to battle. So I'm going to read Exodus 17, verses 10 through 13. It goes like this. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands... The Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. He was only able to do that. Moses was only able to do that with godly friends. Church, we need to surround ourselves with people like Aaron and her who will come along beside us and say, your arms are tired, I got you. You're going through something, I got you. We need that. I have some amazing godly men in my life that will come up to me and ask me the tough questions. How's your soul, man? How's your marriage? How are you doing? Not yeah, the Giants won, or, you know, that's all fine and dandy. They're willing to look me in the eye and say, how are you? And they're willing to say, let me see your phone. I want to check your browser history. Let me see what you're looking at. What have you been watching on TV lately? They're willing to ask me the tough questions. Why? Because they want to see me win, ultimately. Church, we need good, godly friends. Sometimes we find ourselves Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation and we're like, "Oh, I should not be here right now." And it's because you followed a group of friends that that were going the wrong way and you're just like, "Well, they're going, so I'm going." My youth pastor used to say something and then this will never leave my mind. He would say this phrase, "You show me your friends, I'll show you your future." Whew, that'll preach. I'm, I'm actually preaching right now, but that's so good. That's so good. You want to do better in life? You want to get closer to God? Surround yourself with people that are closer to God. That is, man, that's good. We need good, godly friends in our lives. Here's the last thing that I noticed Moses did so he didn't crack under all the pressure. Moses needed time with his creator. Moses needed face time with his creator. I want to read you a verse. It's found in Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. And it's about the tent of meeting. It goes like this. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. 
calling it the tent of meeting. I underlined a few words here, some distance away, because I think that's very important. Sometimes, church, we got to break away from the crowd. Sometimes we got to turn down the noise. We got to put the phone away. We got to turn the TV off. Whatever it is, we got to put some distance between us and things, us and people, and we got to have FaceTime with our Creator. That's the only way we can get through life. I'm telling you, it is so incredibly important. Not only did Moses do it, I just want to read to you a couple quick verses. I want you to write these down. They're not going to be up here on the screen. Not only did Moses see the need to do this, not only did Moses have to do this, Jesus, God with flesh on, had to do this. Check this out. Matthew 14, 23. It says, after he, he being Jesus, had sent them away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Mark 1.35, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, slipped out to a solitary place to pray. Luke 6.12, in those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. If Jesus needed it, if Moses needed it, how much more do we need that time with our Creator, with our God? We got to be able to turn that thing off. We got to be able to pull away. I can't do it yet. Not yet. I can't start my day until I spend time with my God. I can't. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I can't handle this. But I know someone who can. And that's my God. And that's the only way that I can do it. Church, we need that. We need to set time aside every single day and say, I am spending time with my God. You see, at one point, Moses actually had a conversation with God, and he said this. He said, I'm not willing to take one more step unless your presence is with me. We need that, church. We need to come to a place, a place of urgency, a place of understanding that we cannot do this effectively. We cannot do this well. We are not right on the inside unless his presence goes with us. You want to be effective? You want to change your world? You want to change your culture? Pray that prayer. God, I'm not leaving this place. I'm not getting off my knees. I'm not closing this book unless your presence goes with me. That's how Moses handled the stress of life. Godly counsel, godly friends, FaceTime with his creator. Church, there's something to this. Think about what he was doing, leading two and a half million people, dealing with all this stuff constantly. A lot of the time he was in between God and the people going, don't kill him, <laughs> like don't go anywhere, you know. He was dealing with a lot. How did he do it? Godly counsel, godly friends, and FaceTime with his creator. This is my last point. I want you to write this down. This is good. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. I've heard this phrase several times over the years, and every time I hear it, it's like a two-by-four to the face. Like, ah, oh, so true. You become what you behold. You see, church, a lot of times we're beholding the wrong things. 
a lot of times we're letting things, people, situations around this table that don't belong. A lot of times we are allowing things to influence us that should not be influencing us the way that they are. This setting is for God. This setting is for godly counsel, godly friends. And a lot of times, this is what our table looks like. A lot of times, this is what the influences in our lives are molding us and shaping us. And we wonder why we're not closer to God, and we wonder why we're not hearing his voice. And then I look around my table. Man, this has to change. Listen, am I saying these things are wrong? Not necessarily. But when they become the influences and the, the major influences in my life, yeah, that's wrong. These spots are reserved for your creator, for godly counsel, for godly friends. That's who should be around your table. But too many times in my life, this is what my table looks like. This is what my table looks like. And I wonder why I'm going through a dry spell. God, why can't I hear you? God, why, why am I not seeing your hand move in my life? Why? And I turn to Facebook. God, why am I in a bad mood all the time? What is going on? Why am I depressed? Why is nothing ever good enough? Why am I a jerk to my family? And then I look around my table. You know, if you ask me what my priorities are, I would tell you what I want them to be. But a lot of times it doesn't look how I want it to look. And that's why over the last few months, God's been putting his finger on my heart saying, Ben, this has to change. Ben, you want to take that island for Jesus? It can't look like this. Your life can't look like this. Ben, you want to hear my voice? This can't happen. I'll spend my personal time with God. I'll be crying out to hear his voice, for him to speak to me. And then I do this. And I go about my day and I'm listening to a podcast or a song or something else. Can I tell you one thing about my God? He's a gentleman. You say, God, speak to me, and then you plug your ears. Like That's what we do, right? Why am I not hearing his voice? Well, I got headphones on. I got earbuds in. I'm listening to a sports podcast or whatever. Man, I got to listen. My table has to look different if I want God to show up in my life. Church, can I tell you this? He wants to. He wants to. The band is going to come up. and We're going to close this out. But as, they're, as we're getting ready to close this, I, I hope you're praying a prayer right now. I hope you're praying, God, what does my table look like? What influences am I allowing into my life to mold me and shape me and define who I am? See, I, I want to tell you this about the Harbor Church. If you came here just looking for a motivational speech, you're in the wrong church. You're in the wrong place. We come to do work. We come here to get on the table. We come here to lay on the table and say, God, take it out of me. 
If you need to do surgery, do surgery, whatever's in there. Church, God wants that relationship, that closeness with you more than you want it with him. Doesn't seem possible, but it's true. But too many times we ask for it and we turn back to other things. Would you stand with me this morning? I don't know where you're at in life and I don't know where you stand with God. Maybe you're in this place today and you say, Ben, I don't even have a relationship with this God you're talking about. I got good news for you. We have an awesome, amazing prayer team standing in the back that has been praying all week for this moment right here to talk to you so that you can start that relationship with Jesus. It's simple. It's easy to start the relationship. It takes some work once you start. But becoming a Christian is not tough. Church, we need more of Him in our lives. We need more of Him. So this morning, if you're feeling convicted, like I am, you don't have to leave here feeling that. We do our services a little different here where we have worship at the end. And the reason why we do that is so we can spend some time with God. And we can reflect on what we discussed. If you leave this place the same, it's because you want it to. But if you want to leave here with your table looking better than mine, that can happen through prayer. Godly counsel, I talked about that. That's standing along that back wall right now. Godly friends, I talked about that. That's standing against that back wall. And that's around you right now. We can help with the first two things. FaceTime with God, that's between you and Him. I can't help you with that. It comes down to a decision. Do I want to leave this place the same? Or do I want to leave this place knowing Him more, being closer to Him? It's really that simple. We do something here at the harbor a lot. We like to raise our hands. And the reason why we do that is because we're surrendering to him. Moses won the battle when his hands are raised. Why? Because he was saying, not by my might, not by my power, by yours. So if you feel comfortable in this place, I want to encourage you to lift your hands. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to ask God to have his way in our lives, in our hearts, to change us to do something today. God, we love you. And we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, God, for the love that you have for us. God, I pray that you inspect my life right now. God, I pray that you put your finger on my heart right now. The things that need to change, the influences that I allow into my life that are wrong, God, point them out. Holy Spirit, I give you full authority to go through my life and start pointing at things because it's not worth it to me to live life miserable when I don't have to. I don't want to go through life far from you, God. I want to be close to you. I want to be like Moses was in that tent of meeting. God, talking to you face to face. God, I pray that nothing would hold us back this morning. God, I pray that there wouldn't be anything 
that we're not willing to lay down, that we're not willing to give to you. God, this morning, minister to us. Change us. Draw us in closer to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.